Well, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Christian Challenge. I'm excited to be with you here tonight. My name is Eric. I want to give you a brief intro for those of you who uh, haven't met me yet. Uh, I've been on Challenge staff now for six years. I joined right after I graduated from college. I graduated here from USC in 2015 with a degree in biomedical engineering. I work in that industry now. I am a product manager for a biotech company out in Santa Monica. Uh, fun fact about me, something really exciting in my life is that I just got married less than a month ago on September 19th um, to this beautiful woman, uh, Jessica, and I, I, I love her so much. I am so excited to be married to her. I, I can't even uh, describe uh, just the, the joy I feel at being uh, married to her, and I'm super excited to introduce her to all of you uh, when the time comes. Uh, you're you're going to love her and, and love getting to meet her. She is She is awesome. Uh, but believe it or not, uh, that day, my marriage, my wedding anniversary is not going to be the most important anniversary I celebrate in my life. In my life, in fact, the biggest anniversary I'm going to celebrate is coincidentally tonight, October 15th. Because you see, on October 15th, nine years ago in 2011, I became a Christian. Now, growing up, my family took me to church. Uh, I definitely believed in Jesus. I, I really didn't know anything else to believe. Uh, but, I, but I never decided in my life to to follow Jesus, to entrust my life to him. I thought, you know, if I get good enough grades, if I have a good enough career, if I, if I did enough good things, if I was a nice enough person, then I would ultimately be enough in life. Um, but the truth that I didn't realize at the time was because of the sin in my life, I would never be enough. There was nothing that I could do to make up for that sin. And so, you know, throughout my early years, my high school years, I, I really struggled to find peace in my life. Um, then in college, uh, I found myself going to Christian Challenge, and I, and I met some people who really had trusted Christ and, and turned away from their sin and decided to follow him. And I just saw the difference that that made in their life. And it really stuck with me. And I asked a lot of questions and, and stuck around Christian Challenge. And eventually at FBC uh, in 2011, back when we could do FDC in person. Uh, we were at Big Bear that year. Um, uh, it all just kind of clicked. And for the first time in my life, I really repented. I acknowledged that I had this sin in my life, that I was not following God. I acknowledged that my way was wrong and God's way was right. And I entrusted my life to Jesus, um, who gave his life for me on the cross, dying for my sins. And I turned away from my sin and decided to follow him. And let me tell you, um, the joy and peace I felt in that moment was was amazing, um, and I've continued to feel that as I've gone along. But that first time repenting was not the last time I have repented. In fact, I've repented uh, many times since then, uh, and that's not to regain my salvation uh, when you get saved and genuinely repent. You can't lose salvation Um but I, I still sin, and uh, I, I repent, and I've developed this habit of repentance in my life uh, because I need to turn back to God after I've sinned. You know, I've had to acknowledge many times that, yeah, what I did was wrong, God. Uh, I need your forgiveness, and I want to turn again to follow Jesus once again. In many different areas, I've had to do that. So in this series, we've been talking about habits. And this concept of if you develop good habits, good habits will develop you. Well, one of the big habits that 
I've had develop me in my life is this habit of repentance and continually repenting uh, as I've grown in my faith. You see, you grow in your faith as you consistently turn away from your sin uh, and choose to follow Jesus over and over again. Um, If you don't repent, if you don't turn away from that sin, uh, over time you start to drift and your heart becomes hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And no one wants that, right? You know, we all want to live lives that please God. But let's be honest, repentance is not really a fun thing to talk about. It's kind of a heavy topic. Uh, some of these habits that we've been talking about in this series are are fun to talk about and think about, like rest. Yeah, rest, that is awesome. Who doesn't want more rest? Uh, expressing gratitude, really fun. You know, gain time in the Word, learning the Bible better. You know, exciting things. But repentance is this heavy thing. Um, you know, essentially, when we repent, what we're doing is we're, we're confronting the most dirty, vile um, parts about us. It's not a, it's not a pleasant thing to do or think about. Um, so this may not be getting you too excited to, to get a habit of repentance in your life, but what you see in scripture may change your mind on that. That's what we're going to look at tonight. You see, yeah, repentance is difficult. It's sorrowful. Um, it's humbling, uh, but it's tightly coupled to joy and leads to joy in your life. You see, here's the truth about sin. Um, sin will always cause pain. Sin will always cause sadness. Uh, there is no good, no good whatsoever that comes from sin. Um, you will always regret it. You will always regret sinning. However, by repenting, uh, when we turn back to follow God again, we see that following God always leads to joy. Repentance leads to joy. You will not regret repenting in your life and developing that habit. Now, Paul talks about this concept in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And a little background on this letter, 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul visited the church in Corinth to go see the Corinthians. And uh, the church had rebelled against him. They rebelled uh, against the gospel. They weren't following anymore. They were following people who were um, preaching different things. Uh, And it was a bad situation. Paul actually had to leave for his safety. And so he sends Titus, uh, one of his disciples, back to Corinth with a letter. Now, this letter is not 1 Corinthians. It's not 2 Corinthians. It's a letter that we've actually lost. God did not include it in the Bible for whatever reason. Uh, But we know from what it says in 2 Corinthians that this letter was very sorrowful. Um, It really was difficult for Paul to write because it confronted the Corinthians on their, their sinful patterns and called them out on that. So he writes this letter and he sends Titus with the letter. And later Titus comes back and reports to Paul that, hey, a lot of the Corinthians have repented of their sin and turned back to following Jesus and the gospel. Um, And that really excites Paul. So in response to that, he writes this letter that we're looking at tonight, 2 Corinthians. Um, And it really demonstrates how, while yes, repenting is sorrowful and difficult, it really is worth it and leads to later joy. Um, we're going to pick it up here in chapter 7, verse 8, and take a look at what it says. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Now, Paul is very frank here. The sin of the Corinthians caused a lot of sorrow and pain. 
You see, Paul was pained to have to write this letter. Paul was pained to see their ways and their sin. The Corinthians, too, were also saddened by their sin. It caused them a lot of grief. But look at what it says there. That grief was not permanent because repentance followed it. And that repentance ultimately led to joy. I love what Paul writes there at the end of verse 9. They lost nothing. Yes, the act of repenting was difficult, but the Corinthians lost nothing in doing so. In fact, they gained because they were able to turn back to God and follow him again. You will never regret repenting in your life. The Corinthians didn't. And Paul here in this verse introduces this concept of godly grief. And in order to develop this habit of repentance in our lives, we have to understand what godly grief is. So Paul builds upon this topic in the next verse. And he says, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. This is the key verse. You see, when we sin, there are two different things that can happen deep inside our hearts. Godly grief or worldly grief. Remember, sin always is going to cause pain and sadness. It will always lead to that in our lives. But only godly grief produces repentance. It leads to that joy of a restored walk with God later. So the question is, what then is godly grief? Well, godly grief is reacting to sin in the way that God reacts to sin. Um, You see, God despises sin. He hates it. Um, And so when we sin, we do not have his approval at all. And if you have godly grief, you begin to see sin the same way as utterly despicable. Um, You feel a genuine sorrow for sinning and having lost God's approval. Uh, You admit that your action was wrong. And your top desire is to return to walking with God once again and stop sinning, restoring your relationship with him. You see, godly grief leads to action, action to make things right. Look at what the Corinthians do in verse 11. See what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proven yourselves innocent in the matter. You see, Corinthians were sorrowed at their sin and took action to make things right. They longed to get back in line with what God said and to come back into obedience with God and do whatever it took to get there. I love the words that he uses there, uh, longing, zeal. You know, they were indignant at, at having sinned and, and wanted to wanted to right that and make things better. And so as we begin to see sin more and more as God sees sin, you know, developing this godly grief in life, the more and more we run away from sin to follow Jesus again. What is there to regret in that? Less sin in our lives? Nothing. No regrets. So what then is worldly grief? Well, worldly grief is the opposite. Worldly grief is reacting to sin in the way that the world reacts to sin. It's a self-centered way of reacting to sin instead of a God-centered way of reacting to sin. You see, when you sin and have worldly grief, uh, you're more concerned with the damage that the sin does to your appearance, your reputation. Uh, You feel a sorrow at what sin might do to your future plans or your image. Um, And sure, you're sad, you know, sure, you're sorry, but you say things like, ah, 
it wasn't that bad. Or, oh, everyone else is doing it. You make excuses. You try to minimize the consequences. And, you know, again, even though you're you're sad about it, um, as long as your reputation's okay, um, as long as people still like you, as long as the consequences weren't too high, uh, there's no real impetus to turn away from that behavior and, and follow God again. There is no action to change. Um, really just leads to inaction and a neglect to address the sin in your life. And so you just continue on in sin. And as Paul puts it, you know, that leads to death. Death, sure, in an eternal sense, if you never repent and never turn to Jesus, um, when you die, you will be separated from God forever. Uh, but also in the day-to-day, as you sin more and more and get farther and farther and farther away from God and, and live a life full of regret. You know, no one wants that, right? But that's what worldly grief leads to. So if we want to live a life of repentance, uh, get that habit into our life, we need to experience godly grief and see sin as God sees it and treat it as such. Now, I think a couple stories will help kind of flesh this out and show us what this looks like in um, real people's lives. And the Bible has some great examples of this. Tonight, I want to share the story of Saul and David, two of my most favorite characters uh, in all scripture. And it really does show the difference that having godly grief makes in one's life. Um, First, we're going to look at Saul. Now, Saul is a man of worldly grief. Saul is the first king of the nation of Israel. Um, God appoints him as king. And we're going to pick up his story in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel. Saul has been instructed here to wait for Samuel, who was a prophet, spoke for God. Um, And Saul was instructed to wait for him to come, offer sacrifices, and then tell Saul what to do next. But Samuel is a little late. And take a look at what happens. We see this in 1 Samuel 13, verses 8 through 9. He waited seven days, Saul is waiting, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offerings here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Now, you see, Saul is swayed by the fact that the people around him are starting to scatter. He's worried about his reputation. He, he wants to look like a good king, a king who knows what he's doing. Um, and so he just goes ahead, disobeys God, and, and, and offers the sacrifice. And then right after that, Samuel arrives and, and challenges Saul. He calls him out. He says, what have you done? Now, put yourself just for a second in Saul's shoes. Imagine what this would be like. You're a new king. You're actually the first king. Um, You weren't elected. uh, You really want to look good in front of your people. You know, you really want to look competent. I mean, anyone would feel like this in this situation. Um, And then here comes a respected figure in the community, Samuel. um, And he just calls you out in front of everyone. And the people are already a little antsy. And now you're being called out. You see, in order to repent, Saul would have had to humble himself a lot. And he would have had to admit that he was wrong in front of everyone. Everyone. It's not a good look for the new king, is it? And so look how Saul responds. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, 
when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered a mikmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. And I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. See, Saul just gives excuses. He's trying to minimize the damage that his sin causes to his image. This is worldly grief. You see it right there. And so Samuel rebukes him. He calls him a man uh, not after God's own heart, um, which is clear because Saul is just focusing on himself. And then there's this interesting little detail. I, I, I love how nuanced the Bible is sometimes. There's this interesting little detail in verse 15. Uh, Samuel weeps. And the first thing that Saul does after this, you see it in verse 15, Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. It really reveals Saul's heart, doesn't it? You see, Saul is saddened more by the impact that his sin has on his popularity than the impact his sin has on his relationship with God. And so he looks around, sees that the people are still following him. He's good to go. Rather than being disgusted with his sin and making changes, despite the cost, he just moves on. Now, I want to pause here because uh, we know that Saul is the, the bad example in this story, right? And so I think it's easy when we see these negative examples in the Bible just to be like, what an idiot. Uh, obviously, he was wrong. I never would do that. However, I really do think that Saul is extremely relatable here. <laughs> I I totally understand why he did what he did. I mean, I'm, I have been in situations where admitting I was wrong would make me look like a fool. And so I didn't. I mean, haven't you ever done that? at least be tempted to do that. Um, repentance is not an easy thing. It's just not. But it is worth it no matter what. Because you're going to see Saul's decision here only leads to more sin and regret down the road. We see this in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. Um, Saul is given very clear instructions from God to go up against this nation and, and essentially take them out. The, the word that is used in verse 3 is do not spare them. Very clear. He's to kill everything, even the animals. He's clearly instructed by God. And so he goes, and in verse 9, the verse says, Saul spared them. Sin. They didn't follow God. Um, and then we see another interesting detail in the Bible. You see this starting in verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all the night. It's very interesting that the Bible gives us, gives us a window into God's reaction here. Um, this doesn't mean when God says, I regret, it doesn't mean that God realizes, like, oh, I made a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. Um, what this means is God is really saddened and uh, angered by Saul's sin. He hates and despises sin. God is responding with godly grief. Hopefully he would. You know, God always responds with Godly grief, God hates sin. Samuel, same way. Godly grief, he's angry at this sin. He cries to the Lord all night. Now, if Saul had godly grief, he would respond in the same way. He would just be appalled that he has sinned and do what it takes to make things better. Wonder what he does. Well, Samuel comes to him and uh, 
asks him this great question. He says, what is all this bleeding of sheep that I hear? I just have this image of Saul being surrounded by all the sheep he was supposed to kill and being like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and, and Saul doesn't take responsibility. He doesn't admit his sin. He just starts to blame the people again and, and tries to repair his reputation. Uh, he begs Samuel to approve of him in front of everyone. Take a look at some of these verses, some of the things that Saul says. Uh, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. Then later, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. Now, maybe at first glance, it sees that it seems that he wants to go before the Lord. But if you take a look at it, what is Saul really after here? He just wants the people to see him bowing before God. He just wants the people to think that he's repenting. He just wants the elders to know that Samuel still approves of him. This is worldly grief. And what this leads to is just a downward spiral in Saul's life. More and more sin, just becoming harder and harder and harder of heart, a life full of regrets. And eventually, you know, Saul dies in disgrace. He never gets back to walking with God. And I wonder just how, how different this could have been had he just repented just once. Now, do you see any of yourself in Saul? Have you been experiencing worldly grief in a certain area of your life? We're gonna look at David now and the difference in his life and the difference that godly grief produces. Um, when David sins, he feels godly grief. And you see this in 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is the very famous story of David and Bathsheba. Uh, essentially, David sees this beautiful woman, Bathsheba, bathing on a rooftop, um, but she's married. She's married to one of his top soldiers. Uh, but David, being king and having all the power in the world, decides to sleep with her anyway, and he accidentally impregnates her. And so he launches this huge cover-up to try to hide his sin and, and, and eventually ends up in him ordering the, the murder of, of Bathsheba's husband. Uh, a, a pretty big sin, many sins. A good percentage of the Ten Commandments are broken in this story by David. Um, and so in chapter 12, what we see is the same situation as we saw with Saul. Um, king of Israel committed this huge sin. A prophet comes to confront him. This time it's the prophet Nathan. Samuel has died in between these two stories. Um, and Nathan calls him out. Now, look at what David says in response to Nathan's challenge. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's it. No excuse. He acknowledges that he has sinned in front of everyone. You know, Saul would have said something like, well, yeah, but she was naked and I didn't mean to see her and uh, it's fine. It's not a big deal. But no, David doesn't do any of that. David feels a godly grief. Now, uh, Nathan says that David is forgiven, but as a result of his sin, the child that he's going to have with Bathsheba is going to die. And this just fills David with even more grief. And he spends all night repenting before the Lord. Take a look at his reaction in 2 Samuel 12, 16 to 17. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not. 
nor did he eat food with them. Could you see Saul doing that on his face, just totally humbled before everyone, all the elders? There's no way. There's no way Saul would have done this. Uh, Saul had worldly grief. But for David, it's godly grief. It's not about what the elders see. It's about getting right with God, putting his heart back in the right place and following God once again. It's about truly repenting. Godly grief leads to repentance. Now, we don't get a great window in 2 Samuel into what David was thinking. Um, But in the Psalms, we do, because David, in response to Nathan's challenge and uh, David's repentance, writes Psalm 51. And so we can see just in the first uh, couple verses of Psalm 51 what David was thinking during all this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Godly grief right there. David makes no excuse. He clearly acknowledges the ugliness of his sin. You know, he says it so many times, my transgression, my sin, Um, no excuses. Um, And he he asks for God's help to to turn around and make things right and and follow him once again. Um, It's a great example of what godly grief looks like. He just sees the sin as God sees it and reacts and takes action. Now, there is a difficult part of this story. Um, The child still dies. And um, it's hard to, uh, to process that, I think. Despite David's genuine, absolute genuine repentance, the child still dies. Now, does that surprise you? Uh, That's not how this story is supposed to go, right? David repented. Everything should be fine. Well, that is a worldly grief response. You see, sin always leads to pain. Sin always leads to consequences. And the most important thing in repenting is not trying to dodge these consequences, not just coming to God so God can fix everything in our lives um, that we've messed up. The most important thing is renouncing our sin and turning back to God to sin no more. You know, if you, if you have a godly view of your sin, then you see you deserve the consequences. Um, did, you, did you catch this little part in, in Psalm uh, 51 verse 4? Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. You see, God isn't being mean here. This isn't God's fault that the child died. David knows it's it's his fault. Um, That's the result of sin. There's consequences. That's why God doesn't want us to sin. God is justified in his words. He is blameless in his judgment. You know, God isn't the bad guy in this story because the child dies. It's David's fault. And he knows that. And he sees that. And he repents. You see, his goal of coming before the Lord was not to dodge sin, or excuse me, was not to dodge the pain, the consequences. It was to renounce his sin and follow God again. And that is godly grief. Now take a look at what he does. We see this in verses 19 and 20. When David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, he is dead. Then 
David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. That's amazing <laughs> to me. He, he finds out that his child has died and he worships. Why is he able to do that? Because he repented and he's right with God. And he realizes God is worthy of worship at all times because God, you are great and your ways are right. Sin always causes pain. There's no getting around it. It always will. Um, but when we repent, we have hope to rejoice again because we are right with God, despite the pain. In fact, if you look at the rest of Psalm 51, there are so many verses that contain joy. Take a look at them. Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. The bones are still broken, still pain. Um, but there's hope of rejoicing again. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You can see that David is expecting that because of his repentance, he is going to feel the joy of God again. So God is, God is good. And when we repent, we remember that and go back to living in light of that. We don't want to sin anymore because we know that sin is just ugly and we want to be following God. So if you're going to develop this habit of repentance in your life, you need to see sin as God does. You need to experience godly grief when you sin and just renounce it. Take action to make it right. Now, the truth is you're not going to be 100% godly grief, 0% worldly grief. There's going to be a mixture. It's going to be a tension. You will always have the temptation to turn to worldly grief. Minimize the severity of your actions, make excuses, worry about your reputation, all these things. But the more and more you build this habit, the more and more you see sin as what it is. It's just this hideous thing. And see God as what he is, beautiful, loving, um, right, uh, the more traction you will get in this. Um, so how, how can you start getting this habit in your life? What are some practical things that you can do? First thing I would tell you is to start regularly praying for God to reveal sin in your life. Um, David did this. We see this in one of his other Psalms, Psalm 139. He says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, God doesn't need permission to access our thoughts. He knows them. This is about adopting a posture that is humble before the Lord, acknowledging that I have sins and I want you, God, to show me them, not just for, for fun, just to be like, here you go, but with the intention to turn and be led by God into the right way once again. It's a desire to repent. This is a hard prayer to pray because we have a lot of sin and God will reveal it. Um, but remember, repentance is worth it. It leads to joy. So we ought to start praying this prayer. Um, you know, I, I have, and it's been very helpful. So start praying that God would reveal sin to you and would help you to start seeing it as, as he does. Then when sin is revealed, the next thing is you want to take time. You want to take time before the Lord to get your heart in the right place. It is easy to belittle our sin. It's not that bad. It's easy to justify our sin. I had to do it. Um, we need to develop a heart that admits we were just totally wrong without excuses. And sometimes that takes time. Sometimes there's this battle inside of you like, ah, I, I just I just like that sin so much. And we really have to fight 
um, and really turn to God and really start to see it as he does. Something that's been really helpful for me is actually praying through Psalm 51. It's this nice little roadmap of, of getting your heart in the right place. David, we see in the story, he, he knew what godly grief was all about. He knew what repentance was all about. So we can follow his example. I've prayed through Psalm 51 many times, uh, found it very helpful. You know, pray to God that he just gives you godly grief, um, that you see the sin as he does. Um, so take time before God to, to get your heart in the right place. Then after that, you know, take action to make things right. You know, repentance always leads to action. Or excuse me, godly grief always leads to action, which is repentance and turning away from your sin. Um, I, I really like this verse in Acts uh, 24, verse 16. I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both, both excuse me, both God and man. I think this really captures the fact that sometimes making things right will hurt you. Sometimes it'll be very difficult. Sometimes it will damage your reputation. But remember, the most important thing is not your reputation, not the consequences. The most important thing is turning away from sin and making it right, no matter the cost, repenting without regret. So take time to do it. Clear up your relationships. Ask for forgiveness when you need to. Um, take radical action to get rid of temptation and, and remove sin from your life. You will not regret it. And the last thing that I would tell you is once you've done this, move on. Move on in the joy of salvation. You know, don't dwell on your past sins. That can start to get self-centered and, and just not a good thing to do. Jesus has covered it. If you follow Jesus um, on the cross, Jesus covered it. So you don't need to dwell on that. He's forgiven you. Period. That's it. So rather than dwell on it, rather you can just joyfully pronounce the gratefulness of God so that others too might repent. You know, we see that in David, uh, David Psalm 51 as well. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. You see, this is the great thing about a relationship with Jesus. The pain of sin does not have to be for nothing. You know, we can take the amazing grace that we've been given and that we've experienced in our lives and extend it to others and joyfully, joyfully proclaim the greatness of our God. You know, start practicing these things, start getting this into your life, and, and you will be on your way to building a habit of repentance into your life, and you will never regret it. Uh, I, I certainly haven't. Uh, I, I started tonight by talking about my new bride, Jessica. And you know, honestly, I... I don't deserve her at all. You know, for the longest time, I was just totally lost in pornography, uh, just totally addicted to it. I was a mess. Um, and, and even after I became a Christian, I really struggled with it. I just couldn't get past it. And, and why was that? It was worldly grief. You know, I would fall into thinking of, well, I'm a guy, I can't help it. Ah, it's not that bad. Uh, my, uh, my reputation wasn't really damaged. Uh, there was no immediate consequences that I could see. Um, I would be sad, and I knew it was wrong, and I was definitely sorry, but I never really repented. I never really saw that sin as God did, as just totally despicable and ugly, and I never took action to remove it from my life. Um, then I vividly remember walking home to my apartment on Ellendale. I was walking down Ellendale. Some of you probably know where that is. Um, Walking down to uh, down Ellendale my junior year of college, and I just started recently putting some of these things into action. I started praying that God would reveal sin in my life. I was 
thinking about godly grief and these things. And, and, and as I was walking, my mind started lusting after this woman, thinking inappropriate thoughts about her. And all of a sudden, just like a, a, a weight hit me, just like a weight, like a weight of bricks of just godly grief and just feeling like sorrowful over what I was thinking and where my heart was and just the, the, <laughs> the thought process is going through my head. And for the first time, the real ugliness and depravity of my sin in that area hit me. And it was very, very sobering, um, shocking almost. Um, and I finally felt godly grief in that area for the first time and was just so saddened, so saddened by that sin. Um, and I went home and really repented, truly, genuinely before God. I just called out to God, please, please, God, help me to move away from this. And you know what? Um, as I took the time to get my heart right before God, as I uh, took action and took steps to remove things from my life, you know, getting rid of um, websites and getting rid of things on my phone and stuff like that, the, the healing slowly began. Now, it was a long process. I messed up many times and had to repent and repent and repent. It was not fun. It was sorrowful. It was extremely sobering and humbling. But I don't regret it at all. <laughs> I regret every single time that I didn't do it, every single time that I gave into that sin. And you know what? By the grace of God, uh, really by the grace of God, I, I'm free of that now. And I have a, a wonderful relationship with my wife. I don't deserve it. I, I feel for David when, when he loses his child. I, I, I went through a lot of days thinking that there is no way I can be married after all the sexual sin in my past. But you know what? God has been very gracious and kind. And uh, as I've repented, he's really um, helped me move on from that. And I'm just so grateful um, for where I am now. And, and the other amazing thing is I've been able to help a lot of guys struggling in that area as well. I have no regrets repenting. No regrets. Just joy. Just joy of salvation and being with Jesus. So, I want to leave us tonight with this passage from Joel, um, chapter 2. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. I was headed for disaster in my life. I really was. But I turned to Jesus and Jesus saved me from that. He relented over that disaster that was coming as I repented and turned back to him. Now, we have an awesome God who does not want your life to end in disaster. He is just waiting there for you to return to him. He is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So if you're listening to this and you're convicted, and I sure hope you are, I really hope that God has brought to mind areas where you need to repent. Don't put that away. Don't forget about that. Don't just shove your notes in your backpack and never think about this again. Shrug it off like it's not too big of a deal. My prayer for you tonight is that you will experience godly grief in your life, just like David did, and that you will develop the habit of repentance because that leads to salvation without regrets. You will never regret repenting. So I really encourage you. Get this habit into your life. Develop it, and it will really develop you. And God, you will just see God's grace.
more and more as you go along.